You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Lovecast. Podcast hosts, they're not sending their best. Or we're not sending our best, at least not this week, because I'm sick, really sick, some sort of stomach bug or food poisoning. I don't want to get too graphic, but I've basically been sitting on the toilet now for more than 24 hours. So I don't have a show opener for this week. Sorry about that. But I would like to leave you with this thought, or I would like to propose this new cultural norm, a cultural norm I would personally like to see adopted everywhere immediately. When one person in a house has to run to the bathroom roughly every 45 minutes over a 24-hour period and it's an emergency each and every time, if that person's failure to make it to the toilet would result in a literal shit show, the other people who live in that house are allowed to use the bathroom, of course, but they are not allowed to take their phones into the bathroom with them when they do. I don't know if there's been any research in this area, but I have observed that bathroom visits with phones last about four times longer than bathroom visits without phones. I'm guilty of this as well myself. And it's usually not a problem. But when somebody has food poisoning, waiting is a problem. So no phones in the bathrooms. When someone in your house has food poisoning or a stomach bug, the carpets you save may be your own. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Everlane, luxury basic clothing and accessories made at ethical factories without those retail markups. For free shipping and to support the Lovecast, go to everlane.com slash savage. This episode of the Lovecast is brought to you by the good folks at Squarespace. They make it easy to build a beautiful website, blog, or online store. Head on over to squarespace.com slash savage for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SAVAGE to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Talkspace, online therapy that makes it easy to get extra support. Use the offer code SAVAGE for $65 off your first month. Go to Talkspace.com and use the offer code SAVAGE. Hey, Dan. So like you and so many others, when Trump was elected, I made the decision that I would not fuck or pursue a relationship with someone who voted for him. And I've stuck to that all of these years. My problem, though, is that I live in a red state and so many of the men I talk to admit that they voted for him and I have to turn them down. I used to not have a problem with it, but now it seems that every man I start to talk to has voted for him and it's getting lonely to continue to turn them down. How do I stick to my guns if not fucking a Trump supporter, but also not feeling alone? All of the guys that you've spoken to who admit voting for Trump, are they planning on voting for him again? Maybe that can be the new line in the sand that you draw. Not that you won't be angry about their vote in 2016, but if they've come to their senses, if they've realized they've made a mistake... You will reward them with a little bit of your pussy in advance of 2020 when they have committed, when they have pledged to you and to the world to vote against that motherfucker if he is on the ballot in 2020 and not in prison in 2020. Hey, Dan, I'm a hetero male and uh, I'm married. And so me and my wife had an open relationship. We weren't polyamorous, but it was open. And we always had two rules that were main, three rules. One, be completely honest. Two, if you think you're starting to have feelings for anyone you're seeing, 
in the relationship. Three, if the other person believes you're having feelings, <clears throat> they can ask you to end the relationship and you have to. Uh, I started getting the feeling that my wife was starting to have feelings for this one man. And I asked her to end the relationship, but she assured me that she wasn't that um, basically I was my imagination and that she would never leave me for this other man. And I believed her. I chose to believe her in that situation and allowed it to continue. Uh, they had only known each other at this point for a few months and only seen each other maybe uh, a dozen times total. So this had been three months and a dozen times. Um, and in that period, that guy had told her that he started having a girlfriend, so they had to keep their, their swing on the down low because he didn't want his girlfriend to find out about it. Uh, fast forward, I finally tell my wife that she can't see him anymore, and she tells me that she's in love with him after three months and 12 times, and that while she loves me and she's very happy with our life, she doesn't know if she can be with me after knowing that he is out there and she could be happier, maybe happier, like she is willing to risk it. Uh, we are going to do therapy, both individual and couples, and that she is not to have contact with him for two months. The question is, do you think we can come back from this? Do you think this is just merely a case of the grass is greener? Or do people actually fall in love that fast? Because it takes months and upon months for me to even contemplate saying I love you. Uh, it's not something I jump into. And I feel like this is way too short of a time for her to be saying that. It's irrelevant how fast I think you can catch feelings for someone or whether those feelings are legitimate after 12 meetings in three months, which isn't that infrequent, a hookup meeting schedule. That's roughly twice a week over three months. People have caught feelings for someone, they claim, over the course of a weekend, sometimes over the course of an evening. And you can tell your wife that her feelings are illegitimate or she shouldn't feel this way. I could back you up, perhaps, in asserting that to your wife. Not going to change how your wife feels, though. She's in love with this guy. She caught feelings for this guy. and She caught them on her own schedule. and She didn't have to run that schedule by you. She broke all the rules in your open relationship in not ending this relationship, not ending this relationship with this other man when she began to catch feelings for him, lying to you about it when you did your screw diligence and pressed her on it and suggested that maybe she needed to end it and then presented you with a fait accompli that she is in love with this guy. So now what? Can you come back from that? Well, sure. People have come back from worse. Will you come back from this? I couldn't tell you. You're running off to do individual therapy. You're running off to do couples counseling. I endorse both individual therapy. I endorse couples counseling in a circumstance like this. But I can't predict what's going to happen. I can't tell you that you're going to come back from this or patch it up in couples counseling. It could be that you're going to negotiate the terms of your divorce or your separation in couples counseling. So couples counseling isn't always about putting it back together. Sometimes it's about helping two people in a loving and constructive way disassemble it, take it apart. So you're just going to have to wait and see. All that said, if your wife does end things with this man and prioritize your relationship, it's hard to see how even if you can come back from this, you can go back to an open relationship. If you come back from this, if your wife loses the feelings she caught or purges herself of this feelings that she caught for this other man and recommits to you, 
because of these violations of the rules you laid out, it's hard to see how you would be comfortable in an open relationship with your wife, at least for the time being, maybe a year, maybe two, maybe three, maybe four, maybe the rest of your marriage would have to be closed so that you feel emotionally safe, secure, and prioritized. And she doesn't have another tempting dude that she could catch feelings for land in her bed or between her legs. But that, of course, is if you guys are still together at the end of the couple's counseling process. And that's not a given. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. They make it simple and intuitive to create your website, blog, or online store. You don't have to hire some fancy pants coder or your neighbor's Celentine to build a website. You can create a beautiful website yourself with Squarespace's all-in-one platform. There's nothing to install, patch, or upgrade ever. They have templates that were created by smart designers that you can just drop in and it looks good right away. Squarespace is used by a wide variety of creative types, businesses, musicians, designers, freaks, artists, klezmer bands, restaurants, and more. If you plan to create a website for your business, Squarespace has all the tools you need to get it up and running quickly. Head on over to squarespace.com savage for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code savage to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com savage and use the offer code savage. Hi, Dan. So I just broke up with my boyfriend of four and a half years last Tuesday, and I'm looking for advice on how to respectfully get him to move out. We both live in an impossibly small one-bedroom apartment where I'm the only one on the lease. For the past three years, I've paid all the bills and living expenses except for a cell phone bill and the Hulu account. Um, I've also given him money for school as well as to help him start his business, none of which I expect to have get back or have asked for back. Um, the night we broke up, I asked him how long he needed to remove his stuff, and he said a week, which I did give him, and during that time, I slept at my friend's house on the floor. He didn't pack or clean anything, just left dirty dishes and some bottles around the apartment. In the last month or so of our relationship, he was only really home once or twice a week, always staying over at different friends' place because our relationship really just wasn't something anyone wanted to be in. I've already gotten a newer, nicer, cheaper, closer-to-work apartment um, and really want to be out of my current place by the end of the month. But it's hard to start packing things when he doesn't want me to touch any of his things. So how do I go forward? On top of all of this, his uncle died yesterday. So that's kind of put a kink into his plans as well. Um, Our relationship didn't work out, and it was honestly pretty shitty towards the end. But I still want to remain respectful and considerate to this process. But I want him to take his stuff so I can move out as well and move on with my life. He had his chance to pack his things up himself. He had that week when you stayed at a friend's, you slept on the floor at your friend's, so he could have the apartment to himself and get his shit out of there. And he didn't. He didn't even pack. All he did was leave a mess for you to clean up, leave bottles everywhere, leave dishes in the sink. He has forfeited his right to tell you not to touch his stuff. You don't have to continue to pay for this apartment indefinitely in addition to your new apartment because your boyfriend's uncle died or because he's just reluctant to pack up his shit and go or he's lazy or he's a user or he's trying to punish you for ending the relationship. Yeah, no. Pack all your stuff up. Get it out of the apartment. Get it into your new apartment. Pack all his shit up and then call him. After it's all packed up and you shouldn't have to do this yourself, but you're going to have to do this yourself so you can extricate yourself from this relationship, from this entanglement. After his stuff is packed, call him and tell him his stuff is packed 
and you're going to leave it inside the apartment by the door. If he doesn't pick it up, by the time your lease ends, it'll have to go to the dump or it's going to go onto the porch and then he will have to pick it up or someone's going to come and fucking steal it. He's going to take a little responsibility for getting his shit out of there. And again, you shouldn't have to do this actual labor, not emotional labor for him by packing his stuff up, but it is in your own best interest to pack it up. And then when you call him, it's packed. You're not asking him if you can pack it. You're not saying I'm going to pack your stuff for you unless, no, you're just, it's all done. It's done. His shit is packed. It's in boxes, not dumped in boxes, pack it all nicely. And it's at the door. Jeans, hoodies, t-shirts, sensible shoes. That's my jam. That's my style. It's what I've always worn. It's what I still wear today. And magically, Everlane has my number and I don't have to take out a second loan to get me a new pair of denim jeans. Everlane makes sturdy, simple, good-looking clothes, all using the finest materials without traditional markups. They want you to know what you're paying for and why, so they tell you their real costs and are radically transparent about every step in their process, from the materials they use to the ethical factories they work with. And no matter your style or preference, Everlane's clothes look better, cost less, and last longer. And because Everlane sells directly to you, their prices are 30 to 50% lower than traditional retailers. Stylish essentials like their Cotton Crew t-shirt are exactly what they should be. Versatile, simple, stylish, and made from quality materials. They have a beautiful selection of 100% grade A cashmere. I love their premium Japanese denim. I'm wearing their premium Japanese denim jeans right now. Nancy especially loves their outerwear made from recycled water bottles. Check out our personalized collection at everlane.com slash savage. Plus, you will get free shipping on your first order. That's everlane.com slash savage, everlane.com slash savage. Hi, Dan. Quick question. So I started hooking up with a man recently. He's married to a man, uh, open relationship, ethically non-monogamous. Um, the sex is good. We have a good time together, but we don't like really hang out or like get to know each other. Uh, so my question is, he just asked me if he could... Um, inquire about my services that I, I do for like my business. I freelance and he's looking for some help, like boosting his following and all that. And I'm, well, I'm happy to help. I'm just kind of like, I don't know if I want to mix business with pleasure in this way. I don't really know him. So like it could probably just be okay. Like it could just be like a business relationship and also a sexual one. Um, but I kind of wanted to get your opinion on um, like this, type of dynamic of relationship and like if you think it's a good or bad idea for me to do this. It depends on what he's asking for. If he knows that you're in business and you're in his business or the field that he wants to go into, you doing just a bit of a download, sharing with him what you know about the field, that's one thing. If he's asking you to give him contacts, if he's asking you to help him get a job, if he's asking you for references or to do any networking, through you, you can say to him, look, I'm not comfortable doing any of that because as much as I enjoy our sexual relationship, I don't know you, really. I don't know what kind of an employee you are, what kind of a worker you are, and I can't know those things just from getting dicked down by you. So I'm not comfortable recommending you for jobs when I don't know what kind of a worker you are because that puts my credibility on the line in my field and – Maybe after we get to know each other better, maybe if you want to get to know me better, 
I'd be comfortable providing you with that. But now, right now, not comfortable with doing that, comfortable with like telling you what I know, comfortable with you asking me questions, but not working my contacts. But I do think that there are people who can mix in a healthy, respectful way, business and sex. You know, people have sexual relationships, people have you know, friends with benefits, they have sexual connections. And through those sexual connections and those friends with benefits relationships, and those are indeed relationships, you get a sense for a person. You get a sense for whether someone's a good person or a bad person. Maybe you listen to their professional woes, their work stories. You get a sense for what kind of employee they might be. And people help each other out. People help their fuck buddies out. People help their lovers out. People share tips and contacts often with the people that they're having sex with. But they don't do that. At least they don't do that if they're smart until after they have a really good sense for what kind of person their lover is when they're fully clothed, when they are doing their job and you don't have that data yet and you should just be straight with him about that. We all need someone to talk to, a person who can support us through rough patches or even the everyday ups and downs of life and that is where Talkspace comes in. Talkspace Online Therapy makes taking care of your mental health more affordable and convenient than ever before. Simply provide your preferences for therapy and Talkspace will match you with one of their more than 5,000 therapists the very same day. Send your therapist unlimited text, audio, picture, or video messages from anywhere at any time. It is convenient and easy to use and you will no longer have to wait for your next appointment to roll around to talk about what's on your mind with your therapist. Because with Talkspace, you can send unlimited messages to your dedicated therapist from the privacy of your own device from anywhere at any time of day. And you can actually afford this. One month of therapy on the Talkspace platform costs about the same amount as a single face-to-face -face session. Best of all, you'll never have to wait a week to share what's on your mind. Again, Talkspace has more than 5,000 licensed therapists who are all experienced in addressing the challenges we all face. To match with your perfect therapist for a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, go to Talkspace.com. Make sure to use the code SAVAGE to get $65 off your first month and show your support for the Lovecast. That's SAVAGE at Talkspace.com. Hi, Dan. I am calling because I have a friend who is about to get married. She sent out invites. They came about a week ago. Um, I've known for a while and... I don't think she's marrying the right guy, and I don't know what to do about it. Am I supposed to go to the wedding? How do I get her to not marry him? <laughs> really concerned. Uh, she hasn't been herself since they got together a year and a half ago. She's known him for longer than that, but they've only been really together and dating for about a year and a half. So lots of questions, concerns, and really hoping that my friend doesn't make a big mistake. You take her to dinner, or you take her to lunch, or you take her to coffee, and you speak your piece. You tell her you think that this is a bad idea. You tell her that you don't think this guy is good for her and that she seemed really different over the last year and a half, and you are concerned. You will love and support her, whatever choice she ultimately makes. If the relationship isn't abusive, if she's not marrying someone who is just objectively odious, if she's not marrying Stephen Miller, you can, with a clear conscience, go to the wedding of a friend who you think is marrying the wrong person and be there for them and demonstrate to them by showing up that you want to be in their life still, even if you disapprove of their relationship, even if you think that they could do better, even if you think that this relationship isn't 
good or healthy, you will be there and they can turn to you and they can call on you for your support and your counsel if indeed they decide to end the relationship. But after you speak your piece, you know, you can't, you can't stop your friend from making this mistake. Tell her you think it's a mistake. Ask her why she loves this guy. Ask her why she wants to go through with this wedding. And listen to her. Hear her out. And then go. What else can you do? You go to the wedding. You bring a toaster. And you make sure your friend understands that if she ever decides to get out of this relationship, you'll be there for her. And if she ever needs to vent to someone about the relationship that she's in, if she has a problem, if she just wants to talk, you'll be there for her. Hi, Dan, and the tech savvy at rescue. This is female in your early 30s. I'm mostly straight. Living in a big city in the USA. And I'm in a relationship with a cis male in his late 40s, um, mostly straight. My question's around whether or not I have an obligation to disclose past sex work to my boyfriend. In my 20s, I did some light sex work, mostly happy ending stuff. Some intercourse with clients that I had more of like a sugar daddy, sugar baby relationship with. And I did this for about two and a half years to bridge a gap for long-standing unemployment in my professional career and then some underemployment thereafter. Since then, I've sought therapy and realized that my choice um, in doing this was connected to some long-standing sexual abuse in my childhood. Um, I've since made my peace with it, um, though I am not out about this to most of my friends. I would say less than a handful of really close friends um, know about this part of my past. My boyfriend knows about my trauma, and a lot of uh, neglect that I experienced in childhood has been really great in understanding about all of that. But this is that one um, skeleton in the closet that I haven't disclosed. And... Part of me wants to tell him, but I fear judgment uh, just because of the stigma. And so I'm wondering, do I have an obligation to tell him? I fear because he's of a certain age, closer to the demographic of the men that I service. I fear being outed at some point, you know, at a good professional event or dinner party and being one of them and having to come to terms with that. So... I guess I'm just in help. I, I, I really don't know what to do in this scenario. You're not obligated to disclose this. There are things we have a right to keep to ourselves about our past. We don't have to disclose everything, particularly something that is in the past, to our current romantic partner, particularly when there is a lot of stigma, shame, judgment, and sometimes when people share this kind of information with a romantic partner, it can be met with a violent response. You're not obligated necessarily to share that. But withholding it means living with the stress of being discovered. And you think there may be some overlap between your social or professional circles with your current partner and perhaps a, a former client. And to live with that stress, to, to have to live every day worried that today could be the day that he – learns this thing, finds this out, or that you are outed, that's just such a stress engine. It's going to be such a stress engine in your life potentially that, again, you're not obligated to disclose, but it might be in your own best interest. It might help with your own peace of mind if you could disclose. 
And you don't have to disclose everything that you did. You can say there was a period in my life where I was broke and I did some light, what a lot of people would consider sex work. And I'm telling you this because I wanted you to hear it from me rather than it coming out in some other way, should it ever come out in some other way. And if he reacts badly to that, well, maybe he's not the right long-term partner for you. I think the thing that a lot of people who've done sex work weigh in their heads is, well, what are the odds that the next person I disclose this to also reacts badly and the person after that? And the odds, because the stigma is so great around sex work, are pretty high, which is why a lot of people who've done a little bit of sex work for a short time in their lives, for whatever reason they did the sex work, choose not to disclose this information and cross their fingers and hope that their current romantic partners never find out. And in most cases, I think current romantic partners never do find out. Call it a low probability, high consequence, potentially event. There may be a low probability that you guys will ever run into somebody who's a former client who is so indiscreet as to say something to you in front of your current romantic partner that outs you. And you can rely on the fact that most clients also don't want to out themselves in an interaction like that and will comport themselves. Hopefully maybe it might be awkward, but they're not going to blurt out how they know you in front of your boyfriend or husband necessarily. So again, I want to cast this as a low probability, but you know, high consequence event, low probability. He'll ever discover this on his own, but if he did, it's going to be a high consequence event potentially because he may react very badly a to learning this at all because of horophobia and B that getting mixed in with the resentment of finding out the way that he did, not from you, but from someone else and potentially in a humiliating circumstance for him. If I were in your shoes, I would treat this like a magic sorting hat. I'm going to tell you one thing, one true thing about me. And your reaction tells me everything I need to know about you and whether you're the right partner for me. And then if my partner reacted badly, I would give them some space, give them some time to think about their reaction. I would continue to converse with them. I wouldn't just turn on a, a dime and, and stalk away and process it a little bit with them and see if they didn't come around. But if they couldn't come around, if they couldn't get past the horophobia, if they shamed me, I would want them out of my life in the same way I wouldn't want the stress of worrying about when they were going to find out out of my life, which is why I would tell them myself. You get to make your own choice. And in answer to the first question you asked, no, you are not obligated to disclose this. Hi, Dan and the tech savvy at risk youth. I have a question for you. Um, I've been married to my husband for eight years and we dated for about five years before that. And uh, we have had, we have three young daughters. So for a large chunk of our, marriage so far. I was pregnant and then breastfeeding and then pregnant again and then breastfeeding, etc. Um, so our sex life took a dive, but like you promised, Dan, and thank you, by the way, for the hope on the horizon that you gave me through those times. Um, eventually, after I stopped breastfeeding and my body got back to normal, my our sex life has taken off again. Uh, we've been sharing some fantasies and just having a lot of sex, basically. Um, so my question is, now that we're doing it more often, I can really tell with my cycle that when I'm 
just had my period to the point where I'm ovulating, boom, sex drive is awesome. Lots of sex going on. And then sure enough, it starts to plummet down towards um, when I get my period. But I feel like as a feminist, to blame my everything on my period is wrong, bad. No, don't do that, right? Like when guys say, oh, well, she's PMSing, so she blah, blah, blah. So I don't want to do that. That seems like it's backwards thinking, but it's true. That's what's going on. So I'm just torn. Um, how do I talk to my husband about this? He wonders why am I not into it all of a sudden? I say it's my hormones, then does everything become based on my hormones? And um, it seems like a problem, a, not a horrible problem, but it's a problem that I would like your advice on. Am I supposed to tell you you're a bad feminist if you're not having sex when you don't want to have sex, when you're not feeling it? Some women get horny during their periods. Some women want to be sexually active during their periods. And those women often call in because their partners, their male partners, are a little squicked out about period sex and don't want to have sex with them during their periods. But some women don't get horny during their periods. Some women experience a libido crash. And you're not a bad feminist. You're not enslaved to your hormones. If you listen to your body and you have sex when you want to have sex and you don't have sex when you don't want to have sex. And yeah, there are shitty men who point to women's periods as a reason to dismiss a woman and, and how she's feeling or the point that she's making. It's a way of gaslighting a woman. You don't really feel that. That's just your period talking. And this isn't about dismissal of, of your feelings. You are almost attempting to dismiss your feelings by saying it's not legitimate somehow for you to be horny when you're horny and not horny when you aren't horny and for that to be tied to hormone levels. Testosterone is a hormone that plays a large role in a male and, and a woman's arousal patterns. And, and what can you do? It's just the biological hand you were dealt. So have sex when you want to have sex and have a lot of sex when you want to have sex and give your husband the masturbatory assist when you aren't feeling it. If he's horny during your period and you aren't horny, you can just sit on his face and let him crank what out or whatever it is that works for you guys at that moment, whatever works for you at that moment. Some people don't want to be touched when they're not feeling particularly horny, but some people don't mind a little intimacy and contact so long as full sex isn't expected of them. And that's what I call the masturbatory assist. And you could go there, but don't guilt trip yourself about this. And you are not being a bad feminist by wanting to have sex when you want to have it and not having it when you don't want to have it for whatever reason you do or don't want to have it quite the opposite. Hi, Dan. Uh, I am a 70-year-old trans gay man uh, living in the Bay Area, and I had a question about relationships. So last year, I met another trans guy who was um, a really, really great guy. He was a fantastic friend, and I kind of fell hard for him in the first week or so that I knew him. I was only there for a week because it was only a one-week program that I met him in. Um, and we kept in touch for over the year, um, kind of on and off. He lived all the way on the East Coast, and I'm on the West Coast, so it was kind of hard to keep in touch, but we would talk on and off, um, and at first, I was like, my feelings are, I've only known him for a week, they're probably, I'm only infatuated with him, this love isn't real, um, how do I know that I really have a crush on him? as a person and I'm not just in love with the idea of him. So I thought that these feelings would go away. Um, but they've been consistently staying the same for over a year. And 
he's a year ahead of me, so he's coming he's coming to the West Coast for college now, and he's here. And my question is, I kind of want to tell him how I feel about him romantically, but I am scared that it might potentially ruin our friendship. And even he doesn't seem like the kind of person who would abandon me because of this. Like, I don't think the romance would get in the way, but there would be that awkwardness potentially. Worst case scenario, he doesn't want to be friends with me anymore. And I care about him so, so much. And I don't know, is, should I tell him how I feel in the first place? If I worry this much, should I just keep it to myself? Borrowing a phrase, seeing as these feelings are consistent, persistent, and insistent, you should tell this guy that you have a crush on him. And yeah, there's always a chance that that could ruin a friendship. If indeed this person doesn't feel the same way about you, and the only way to find out if this person feels the same way about you is for one of you to risk saying something to the other. For all you know, he feels the exact same way about you and has the exact same hesitation to speak up that you have. He doesn't want to ruin what he values that you have already, which is this friendship. But you know, telling someone you have a crush on them who only wants to be your friend, that's definitely going to complicate the friendship. And some people can't handle being friends with someone that they had a crush on them or they knew had a crush on them. And it does ruin the friendship or end the friendship or, or, or change it in an irrevocable way. And it becomes something less than it was before. But the other risk is your friend getting this sense over time that you do have a crush on them, but you're not being honest with them and that everything you do then, every time you reach out to them, every time you hang out with them, that they suspect you have an ulterior motive, that you're, instead of being honest and direct about your feelings, you're trying to creep your way into their pants. And I think it's just better to be honest and direct. So tell them. And say, you know, I was a little worried about telling you this. I was afraid to tell you this because I value our friendship so much. And I know that saying this, if you don't feel the same way, is going to create some awkwardness. But I value our friendship so much that I'm willing to stick around and power through the awkwardness and get past it if indeed you don't have the same kind of crush on me that I have on you. And there's a chance, there's always a chance when you say that to someone that they are just so happy you said it because they were feeling it too. No one would ever get laid ever if somebody didn't speak up and risk everything at some point by asking. Hi, Dan. My husband and I just came back from a super fun trip on the West Coast. We attended the Folsom Street Fair for the first time, and we also, while in Nevada, hired our first sex worker, which leads me to my question. We had selected someone off a website and had made initial contact regarding availability, our desires, and to confirm price and conditions. The guy we contacted seemed kind of aloof, but nice enough to keep the plans going, and we figured he's just trying to make his living. However, things began to get what we felt to be aggressive. He asked for a deposit. While this made me uncomfortable, I was trying to see things from his vantage point and not booking a date that would flake, and perhaps stupidly sent him $40. Within a day, he began asking for a tip, and then to be paid in full before the meeting. I politely refused, stating I don't pay anyone in full until the services are rendered, and this includes any contractor or the guy who stains my front porch. He became incensed that we didn't trust him and said we've obviously never booked anyone before. He became so aggressive and insulting that we blocked his number and considered the $40 a loss. We decided to try one more time to see if this is how it goes and thinking this may simply not be for us. The second guy we contacted turned out to be a super nice in his text, accommodating and put us at ease as newbies. He never asked for a dime up front, got there on time and was passionate and giving. 
We gave him a nice tip, and he even texted us afterwards, stating he hoped we had a good time. These were two extreme experiences, and we are wondering what we should generally expect because we got tired of the work involved in Grinder and think this may be something we'd like to continue doing. Expect the latter. Those are male escort or escort period best practices. Nobody expects money up front. Nobody demands to be tipped before a date, before services are rendered. A tip, of course, is a bonus for a job well done, and you can't give somebody a tip for a job well done until the job is done. Yeah, you encountered an aggressive user asshole who was probably using fake pictures and extracting money from nervous newbies like you guys. And he only got away with 40 bucks. Obviously, he wanted to take you for more. I promise you that if you'd sent him more, if you'd sent him full payment in advance, if you'd sent him a tip on top of that in advance, he never would have shown up. And that's probably for the best. Like sometimes you pay to learn a lesson because if this guy who pressured you in this weird way did show up, I promise you, the experience would not have been as pleasant as the experience you had with the escort who treated you guys with respect and with courtesy and sent you a follow-up text. He sounds like a keeper. You guys should make a point of seeing him again. Escorts sometimes travel around the country. He may be in your area. He sounds trustworthy. Maybe you could let him know where it is roughly that you guys live or the nearest big city where you guys live. So if he ever visits that place and you guys would like to see him again and he has time in his schedule to see you again, you could make that happen again. So, You've been treated very poorly by a prospective escort, and you've been treated very well by an escort that you actually hired. You know the difference now between good treatment, bad treatment, between a good escort and a bad escort, between a good witch and a bad witch, and you should insist on the good treatment in future. Hi, Dan. I'm a 32-year-old female living on the West Coast. Over the summer, I attended a wedding and met somebody. Um, I had recently gotten out of a relationship, so I wasn't looking for anything long-term. I met this person. We connected really well. However, he lives in a different country. So he left, um, but we have not uh, ended communication since he left. So it's been about two and a half months now. We decided that I would go visit him in his home country in February. And until then, we would have an open physical relationship as far as we would be emotionally monogamous, but physically open, um, but be on a don't ask, don't tell kind of thing. So in the past couple weeks, months or so, I have utilized that privilege, if you want to call it that. Um, However, he has made it very clear that he is not and has no plans to, and he is not open to an open relationship once we are physically together. I feel kind of bad because I haven't necessarily lied to him, but I've had to kind of dodge um, questions about where I am at certain places. Not that he's prying, but I just feel like I don't want him to know that I am sleeping with somebody else here to take care of my physical needs. And I feel like I am kind of lying to him in that regard by omitting that information. Um, However, I mean, it's only been a couple months. I I don't know if this is going to be a long-term relationship yet until I can actually be with him again, um, which isn't for another four months. So just wondering if I should feel bad about this, taking care of my physical needs, and should I have the perspective that I'm starting off this relationship kind of by lying to him? You aren't lying to him. Not really. You agreed. You both agreed to a DADT arrangement until you can physically get to the same place and then really begin this relationship, begin to date. And the relationship that he would like to have once you're in the same place, once your relationship really starts, is a monogamous relationship. And that's understood. And that monogamous part of it 
the exclusivity part of it, you both agreed would commence once you're both together. And in the interim, DADT. Now, are you lying to him? Well, don't ask, don't tell does require sometimes a little bit of verbal camouflage. (laughs) Not quite lies, but misdirection, maybe we should call it. Because you've been asked not to tell. And if you are somewhere getting laid that night and your partner asks you what you did last night, telling them the truth violates the agreement you both came to when you established the DADT, which was you're not going to tell. And they may put you in positions at times of having to tell something else. You could say, oh, where I, what did I do last night? Uh, how did I spend the night? Well, I, you know, you probably don't want to know. Then you've told. You've basically told him that you were fucking somebody else and you violated the DAT arrangement. So, yeah, you need to come up with a little white lie. Don't say, oh, last night I cured cancer. Last night I prevented a mass shooting. Last night, don't, don't make something up that's bullshit and heroic. Spent a quiet night at home. Hung out with friends. Went to the movies. And then change the subject. You aren't lying. You have nothing to feel bad about. And uh, I'm sorry. He says to you that he isn't fucking anybody else. And that may be true, but that may not be true. He may have told you he's not fucking anybody else to honor and uphold his side of the DADT arrangement. That may be how he is not telling you. So go with a clear conscience. Go get your ass to wherever it is in the world that he is and get a full STI screening before you go. All right, before we get to your response calls, let's read some of your hashtagged Savage Lovecast tweets. Juliet tweets, hey at fake Dan Savage, eye roll emoji to you not tweeting about Bi Visibility Day. Fucking Twitter police. I know you've helped me be more honest about my heteroflexibility. Thank you for everything. Thank you, Juliet. Rubber Cake tweets, it is so much better to be alone because you're alone than to be alone because you're with the wrong person. Hashtag Savage Lovecast at Fake Dan Savage. Actually, it was our guest this week, Joan Price, who came up with that observation. She said that first on my show. Better to be alone because you're alone than alone because you're with the wrong person. And we always like to credit Joan with that brilliant observation. And finally, MW Concert Video tweets, you said in episode 675, Dan, that if you make someone your closet, that requires you to hollow them out. That was very moving. I've been reading your column for longer than either of us want to know. And this may be the best advice you've ever given. Thank you. Well, thank you at MW Concert Video for that. And thank you for being a reader for such a long time. But I like to think the best advice I ever gave was uh, hashtag fuck first. If you want me to read your tweet about the show on an upcoming episode, be sure to use the hashtag Savage Lovecast. And now your response calls. Hello, this is a response to the caller from episode 676 who felt rejected and hurt by the guy she went on a date with who said he wasn't emotionally available. Um, if he was put off by you, it's possible that your vibe was too future plan Z. I know that sounds funny, but nothing will make a person run to the hills like feeling that someone is projecting their idea of you and their future with you onto you. As Dan said, it could be a number of reasons. However, if he deleted his account entirely after emailing you, it's less likely that he legitimately wasn't ready or is still possibly in and out of a relationship. Or he just isn't into online dating. Maybe that's why he commended you for putting yourself out there. I've personally been in a position of not really being ready to date and the timing was off and just wasn't emotionally available and responded similarly to this guy. So bottom line, the likelihood that it was about you or something you should take personally is very slim in my opinion. Good luck. 
Hello, this is about the caller in the last episode who had a sex partner who wanted to film her while giving oral sex. My recommendation is if you're ever hesitant about a sex partner, a lover filming you or taking photos, suggest them using your phone. And that way, maybe you're turned on by the idea, but you're not comfortable with that, per- there are trust issues with that person, and it's more difficult to admit to those trust issues than uh, discussing the fact that you're turned on by it. Uh, so simply have them use your phone. It's hot. They get to experience the act of doing it. You get to experience the act of being filmed or having photos taken of you. And then it's entirely up to you what to do with those photos. However, do be careful about automatic cloud storaging, etc. In other words, if you do delete them, be aware that they might have been saved in one of your cloud services. Hi, guys. This is about the woman who was wondering whether she needed to disclose to her tattoo artist that she found the experience erotically charged. Dan, I know you get calls like this every now and then, someone asking if they need to tell someone that this is going to be part of their fantasy life, if they're in involving them in their kink, you know, without their consent, if they need to disclose that they're talking to their partner about them. Um, Like, if there is such thing as political correctness gone mad, I think it's this. Like, these questions have to stop, really. It's so indulgent. Since when is our fantasy life someone else's business? We all have fantasies. You're not violating someone because you have a fantasy about them. None of their business. We, We all do it. I mean, I was doing it God, at the age of 11 in math class, the only reason I went to math class was because I was fantasizing about the boy in the class. Do I need to tell him, the math teacher? Like, it's silly. Stop. And we're going to leave it there. 206-302-2064 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you'd like to record a question or a comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206-302-2064. We appreciate all your calls. My Dirty Little Porn Film Festival Hump is closing out its 2019 fall tour this weekend in Austin, Texas. There are still a few tickets left. Go to humpfilmfest.com slash tour to find out more. This is your last chance to see the films in the 2019 Hump Film Festival. Nothing is released online. Hump makes it possible for people to be porn stars in movie theaters for a weekend without having to be porn stars on the internet for eternity. So if you missed the 2019 Hump Film Festival and you want to see these films, and you know what, you want to see these films, you're going to have to get to Austin, Texas this weekend. And another Hump News, our 15th annual Hump Opening Film Festival with brand new films and your chance to vote on your favorite ones and give out the Hump Awards. That new festival opens with an all-new slate of films this November in Seattle, Olympia, Portland, San Francisco, and Vancouver, British Columbia. That festival will tour the country in 2020. Head over to humpfilmfest.com now to get your tickets for the opening weekends before they sell out. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Joan Price on Twitter at Joan Price. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at Risk Youth and Nancy. We'll all be back at you next week. Learn installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading.